Hello and welcome to the Melbourne AWS User Group Podcast. This is episode one of season two. Yes, we've decided to create a new season because we had such a long time in between episodes that this way it seems like we planned it. So obviously this episode, as you probably saw on the title, we'll be discussing reInvent 2022. And to do that, I have with me two wonderful people. As Jason Wood. Hello. And Matt Mariel. Hello. So we got called wonderful, Matt. That's awesome. I, 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 I was sort of sitting here going, I'm sorry, there are more people? <laughs> I'm sorry, there are Because <laughs> it can't be us. So now we will introduce the actual <laughs> people. <laughs> so reInvent 2022. None of us were lucky enough to actually attend it in person, but... We still have opinions, probably sober opinions than if we were there. Yep, yep, I'd agree with that. So let's just begin and discuss about the event itself. Was the good reinvent a boring one? How was the virtual experience? Who wants to start? I'll take I'll take that one. So look, as someone who gets up at you know three thirty in the morning um, on a normal day, uh, keynote's perfectly timed mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, they start the moment I get up. You know, you give you give them five minutes to get going, and and it works really well. Um, I have to say the online experience this year was actually pretty good, and is probably the first time that I haven't really suffered any sort of buffering um, or any jitter type issue issues, which was which was really nice to really nice to see. As for the keynotes themselves. Um, ah, look, I think I think they were were really good. Um, the, the the opening keynote, as always, you know, we heard from a couple of customers, um, sort of get their perspective. I don't know if it was a translate if it didn't translate well into the stream version, but did anybody else find those intermittent videos where they sort of you know played a cut scene um, on the screens for like ten seconds? A little jarring. He'd sort of he'd sort of get up and start talking about uh, and sort of say, "Oh, we're going to talk about this," and then you know he'd have a cut a cut scene of an ocean for literally ten seconds, and you know he's just going off sta- off off stage to grab a drink of water or whatever for ten seconds, and then he comes straight back on, and it's like just long enough for me to think that something was about to happen, but then too short for me to actually go, uh, w- w- "Was that actually necessary?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, I didn't really. Really notice um, you know, when I was watching. I, I wasn't watching them live. I, I watched all mine on on playback. So um, you know, mostly I was doing something else and and listening. And then I you know look around if they were talking about something interesting. Um, so yeah, I must be didn't really notice it. Yeah, it could just be it could just be a me thing. Yeah, actually, on a slight aside from that, one thing that I did like when I was looking at the at the YouTube versions was um, you know if you went into the more info bits they had all the um, all the different sections mapped out and uh, and chapterized so you can just you know click on any bit that interests you and jump to there so that was that was quite a nice experience for the the post live viewing that is good yeah and they've also Pretty quick again with starting to get the videos up. Yeah, that was was nice. Um, but also, too, I did have one friend. I think it was probably her first reinvent that she went to live and was sort of posting up and you know, posted a pic of the um, the pre talk band, saying like, "Hey, look at this! The the you know the the pre entertainment 
is much better than uh, you know most conferences main events. You know, just goes to show sort of the the scale that you know you have at reinvent, and uh, you know I, I know she was pretty impressed just with the uh, with the first one. So I think that was that was before um, Andrew's uh, keynote. So yeah, sort of all posting up like, hey. <laughs> How cool is this? And it's only the warmer. You don't realize just how big an event it is until you actually go. Oh, yeah. And just how many people are in the audience and just what a mammoth logistical effort the whole thing is. I won't lie, my feet are very happy I didn't go in person. Being able to sit at your computer and watch them as opposed to doing, I think I average 110 kilometers the week of reInvent normally. So yeah, feet happy, shoes happy, um, not having to spend 30-something hours on a plane, happy. Um, but yeah, there is a small part of me that you, you, you do miss the, let's call it atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the whole, the you know, for if you haven't been, like, just the whole networking and... and you know, so the hallway sessions and um, catch-ups is, you know, the the amount that you get done outside of of the sessions, uh, it's just amazing. And then, you know, when you're there, the, the things that you, you know, you won't see, the chalkboard sessions and, you know, those sorts of things are, yeah, just amazing, really you know, can get as in-depth as, as you want. Uh, yeah, and then you know, I think one of the other things that you know always needs to be mentioned at at, at a reinvent, the start of Werner's keynote. Those are always awesome, and yeah, I just love the the, the mini movie from this one. I have to admit, his keynotes always. Um, I I always really enjoy his keynotes. Um, he's got a, a very uh, very interesting perspective on technology and where things are going. So I always find his. His keynote's very informative, and um, I have to admit, and we'll get into the announcements in a little bit, but um, I, yeah, he, he, he usually has the fun, interesting uh, announcements that tickle the, the engineering part of my brain. Definitely. Yeah, but it's not, usually it's not even just the announcements that make his keynotes so interesting. It's, as you say, his insights into what's going on. Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, absolutely. We're without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So, you know, keynote, keynote's good. Um, video's good. It's the age-old thing. If you go to reInvent, you don't attend the sessions because, let's face it, they're all going to be up on YouTube. And, you know, as you, as you mentioned, they're getting very quick um, at getting the sessions up on YouTube after the fact, um, which is really nice to, to see it. When I do go, it's usually the plane ride home worth of, uh, you know, watching sessions. So it's like all the training and none of the cost. <laughs> yeah. How did you two find the announcements? A lot? Not a lot? Okay? Interesting? Boring? I would say interesting. I mean, I think one of the things that was very interesting was the amount of pre-invent announcements that came out that were awesome. Um I mean, you know, we're usually used to, you know, the trickle when it when it comes up, you know, you get heaps of announcements, you know, each day during the year and then reInvent comes up and, you know, there's maybe only a small number come through and they're, yeah, there are a lot of really cool, like, 
pre-invent <laughs> announcements as well this year, uh, along with obviously some some other cool announcements during the event. So yeah, you know, the, I think yeah, it was uh, certainly interesting this year. There's some yeah. I. I- I have to admit, like, it felt at the time like there was less than previous years, but going back and looking at the list after the fact, and I think it's more just the fact that there was more announced outside of the big keynotes than there have been in previous years. Like, you think about Monday Night Live, like, they announced a lot of stuff on the Monday, which they haven't typically done in in years past. Uh, the opening keynote was a little light on announcements compared to previous years, but the rest of Tuesday they had a whole bunch of stuff. Um, as for Wednesday, you know, data and ML, right? Like that's, you know, Tuesday afternoon, all day Wednesday, that's just data ML time. And man, were there a lot of SageMaker and, you know, glue and all of those sorts of things. You know, I, I think it was it, it's a, it's a nice mix. Um, there's some really interesting dev tools. There's some really like, lots of data, lots of ML. Um, so a, a number of quality of life. Few things I was kind of hoping for that didn't materialize. So I guess that's just you know me going back and harassing my account manager in the new year. That's that's fine. We can do that. But yeah, some really interesting things that, as with all AWS announcements. Lots and lots and lots and lots of stuff that's not in Sydney. <laughs> in fact, the six core regions, oh man, did they get some love? Everybody else is maybe in the future. And it wouldn't be an AWS announcement if that wasn't if that wasn't if that didn't hold true. Yes. And a bit sad that still no 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 announcement from Melbourne. Yep, that is an unfortunate event. Eh, it just means that my customers can't harass me for it before Christmas. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> It's not a bad one, yeah. yeah ever, ever the optimist. <laughs> I did have several people reach out to me because they thought there wasn't a lot announced at reInvent, so that was an interesting tidbit. But then when I did a bit of a small poll in the Slack of the user group, everybody had a different favorite announcement. So clearly there was still a lot of different perspectives on, hey, this is cool stuff. I don't think there was as much new stuff like new services as there have been in previous years there was lots and lots of new features to existing services and products um, but it did feel and maybe that's what was tickling my brain that there weren't a lot of new product new service Um, i think off the top of my head there was probably only about six all week six or seven all week which sure okay that probably sounds a little light on but you know you look at the total number you you look at the what's new you know feed or you look at the news blog and yeah it's clear that it was a busy week yeah yeah i took a snapshot of just the what was in the what's new and what was in the main blog and there were 182 items there yeah yeah so there you go for one week for one week or what is effectively you know five days or six days that's yeah it's a pretty busy week. Yep, definitely. Uh, but also, too, it's interesting. You know, I could probably put a small list of you know things that I missed that I was hoping for uh, as well that um, expected. So yeah, as you say, need to go and talk to some people. It's like, hey, when is this? When is this coming? Yeah. Uh, when am I getting centrally managed Route Fifty Three? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, in, in general, they seem to be pushing a lot more sort of centrally managed 
things out. So hopefully not too. Yeah. Delegated admins for AWS orgs, centralized backup. Like we're getting there. Like, you know, we're getting some quality of life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, yeah, the backup though. Yeah. It's interesting. Some of the announcements that came out about backup, but not the one that I was really sort of hoping for. <laughs> and so, you can back up your cloud formation. Well, actually, so <laughs> that that's a, that's an interesting. That was sort of like my number eleven out of my top ten because it's not you don't actually back up your cloud formation. It you can back up everything that's in your cloud formation stack together at the same time. Maybe interesting. Although if you're using pipelines and you separate all your resources out into in your pipelines, then that doesn't help. Yeah, I started reading. I was like, "Oh, that sounded that sounds interesting." Yeah, cool. It can back everything up. So all these resources are backed up at the same time. It's like, oh, hang on, wait. If I'm pushing them out in my pipeline and the resources aren't in the same cloud formation template, or you know, I'm reusing the same template with just different parameters in my pipeline. Yeah, I've got to tightly couple my infrastructure. That feels counterintuitive <laughs> <laughs> it does i was like hmm so that was why it was my number 11 it's like this sounds good but there's a catch <laughs> exactly i was waiting for the ebs snapshot um archiving you know they've got that on ebs snapshot they've got it on dlm it's not in aws backup that was my one that i was hoping for it here but uh, we'll see hopefully soon one day it's in dlm come on but as we've already started talking about the actual announcements, shall we just dive into that part then? Dive into the to our favourites. Yeah. I'll 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 go first because I've got one that was my favourite, but is now maybe not my favourite because I've actually had a chance to play with it. Cause <laughs> as is always, as is always the case, it sounds good, and then you go, ah, oh, hang on a minute, that's not quite so good. Step Functions Distributed Map. This one was announced um, in Werner's keynote on Thursday. Um, basically gives you the ability to run large-scale parallel data processing in your step function. The problem with step functions until now is, well, let's back up. You can run map processes in step functions, which allows you to uh, run parallel compute jobs across um, disparate data sets. So, you can have, say, 10 items in an invoice and you can fire off a separate Lambda or a separate task for each of those line items uh, in parallel. Very cool. Allows you to do a huge amount of compute in a very short period of time. Very, very nice. The problem is that you, with step functions, have a 256KB payload limit, which means you can only run so many compute jobs in parallel before the payload is too like the payload limit is too small so there is a pretty hard limit unless you can trigger individual lambda functions using like a byte um, of payload which little prohibitive when you're talking json payloads distributed map allows you to pull data in from s3 as either large a single large file or multiple small files so you can say for each file in this s3 bucket fire a lambda function and that allows you to work around the 256k payload limit. Now, this is super cool for me because I've been working on a side project uh, which requires me to fire tens of thousands of Lambda functions in parallel. And 
I had to work around the issue by using SQS queues uh, and checks, which is a little bit problematic when you come to step functions because you got a query, we have the, you know, how many messages are in the queue and all of that and distributed map just gets rid of it completely. Super cool, fantastic. Except when you go to use it, you will notice that Visual Studio Code and the um, step function language uh, schema has not been updated yet. So you don't actually have the language to use distributed maps. So Visual Studio Code will give you syntax errors all the time. If you somehow manage to work around that and actually deploy the code, you will realize that in order for distributed map to work, the step function needs permission um, needs IAM permission to start execution on itself, which if you're declaring step functions in a CloudFormation template becomes a little problematic because you can't have it reference itself. <clears throat> so the little, little bits of an issue. So you end up having to use a wildcard because we like wildcards in IAM policies <laughs> and then wrapping it in like a boundary or something like that. So it's, it, the good thing is it works and it is stupid fast. Um, and if you have a workload that needs to run multiple of these, distributed map looks like a very, very simple drop-in. Like literally, it, the, from a code perspective, rather than literally the only code change I needed to make was rather than output in batches of 10 to SQS queue, write to CSV and upload to S3 bucket. That was the, and then just change the step function config to pull from bucket instead of query queue. And, you know, I had the code change done in about 30, 40 minutes. Added another 30, 40 minutes to work around all the other issues, um, but sort of less than two hours and I had the whole thing out and replaced. Super cool, super awesome. It does cost more than doing it the SQS way. SQS, obviously, you know, very, very cheap to throw messages in there. Distributed map, you're paying for each individual call on a step function, which is, you know, significantly more expensive, but it's still only two and a half cents per thousand. So, you know, even at 100,000, you're still only talking like a couple of bucks. So, you know, if you've got the right type of use case, super cool. However, my advice would be hang off until they... Uh, solve a couple of these uh, quality of life issues with it. Namely, you know, get the VS code and the schema files up to date, which looking at the updates on GitLab will happen, you know, in the coming days if it hasn't already. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that always takes a bit of time because they don't want to spoil things. You can't, you, yeah, you can't, you can't update the schema ahead of the announcement. Um, but, you know, how fast, yeah, it, that the fast follow thing becomes a little a little problematic when, well, as we said, 180 announcements in five days. Uh, it's a little hard to keep a distributed set of GitHub projects all up to date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one at least is something that will solve itself soon enough. Ah, that that that'll be fixed. That'll be fixed soon enough. I will be interested to see what the solve or the workaround, the the recommended workaround is for the IAM issue. Um. I am sure that's one of those things that as soon as they get to updating all of that sort of stuff, they'll have a, a pattern that you can literally just drop in and, and, you know, deploy it like this, set this boundary and, you know, you're off to the races kind of thing. It's just, um, I was writing up a blog for this today. Um, it's just one of those things when, you know, <laughs> it was announced on Thursday, I was coding it on Saturday. Yeah, this is what happens when you live on the bleeding edge, right? <laughs> you find the edge cases. <laughs> you find the edge Exactly. Because it's it's often enough that you can see like um, IAM permissions and all that stuff getting released before an announcement, but they don't they can't do that for reInvent. No, that 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 was that was that was that was my favorite 
Um, mainly just because I had a, a pressing use case for it. So I'm like, ah, oh, score! I was kind of hoping you... Uh, I literally actually went to bed on the Wednesday night um, work, thinking about how I could make this whole SQS thing better and then woke up Thursday morning to Werner going, here's a solution to your problem. And I'm like, ah, you see? That's what I like about AWS. <laughs> I'm going to jump in and go give it top two. Um, they were... the. My top one was reasonably pre-invent, uh, but so awesome. I think it needs a, uh, a another announcement. The IAM support for multiple MFA devices, especially for the root user. I mean, you know, nice. Yeah. <laughs> just how many times have you either gone? Well, we can't put an MFA on root because you know we've got a team that's looking after that, and who gets it and if we're distributed, how do we do that now? Yeah, you can put up to eight MFAs on. So awesome. No excuse for not putting MFA on root accounts anymore. Uh, <clears throat> just super cool. So but that was my quick, like, I needed to just say that again because super awesome. Um, and the uh, my sort of number two is a, a bit of a quality of life improvement and just pre-invent. Um, this is uh, cross-account access for the reachability analyzer. Um, you know, I, I love reachability analyzer for any time, you know, things aren't talking to each other properly and you need to work out, like, where is it not, you know, where is it breaking? And, yeah, previously that had just been within your account, but now cross-account within your organization. So do need to enable trusted access for reachability analyzer in your org. But, yeah, then it's just, like yes, this account, you know, this 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 device in this account needs to talk to this RDS in this other account, and it's not. Where is it breaking? And run your trace, and yes, so that that that's cool. It's one of those things that I, you know, use a fair bit if things are breaking, and it's now super nice to have it cross account. I had completely missed that announcement. Um, so I'm curious, does it then now show like it breaks because it doesn't have a route in Transit Gateway and things like that? Or? Yeah, I mean, I've I've not had a chance to play with it a whole lot. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, from reading up, that should should be able to check all the route issues and, and gateways and things like that. So um, Yeah, because that sounds like something I have desperately wanted at various points. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, you know, it's not a huge announcement until you need it. Um, and yeah, when you need it, it's like, God, I wish I had that. Um, and now I do. So yeah, that's, yeah, I, I was super happy when I heard that. Um, as you, know, you said, like, not a big announcement. I mean, you missed it, Ian, but it's one of those things that, yeah, it can just be so helpful. Nice. Um, I guess it's my turn then. So I don't know if I'd call it my favorite, but one that I really, liked um was AWS verified access. It's in preview, but it's in preview in a way that it actually works in Sydney, which is amazing by itself. <laughs> so what is this? Um AWS verified access is basically AWS's implementation of zero trust networking. So traditionally if you want to access the services in a VPC that are not publicly available you would need to use a VPN or something like it to get access to them, which has its 
whole bunch of downsides, not the least that you need to maintain it. It's extra stuff that you have to think about. You usually can't be very fine-grained in who you give access to, all that sort of thing. And so Zero Trust Networking came up in the past few years, really, that it gained more traction. The one that I often run into is the one is the solution from Cloudflare. But the verified access that AWS announced is basically, um, it allows you to set up endpoints that you can call and then it verifies against either your AWS SSO, sorry, AWS IAM... Identity Center? Identity Center, yep, that's the one, but using their SSO uh, part, or any OIDC, yeah, OpenID Connect provider. So this seems really cool. Um, I did try to play with it a bit, just like Matt, and I ran into some things I did not expect. So the idea, in my opinion, was that you can use this to set these endpoints from whatever account you're running, but I couldn't get it to work with the SSO in a random account. I could get it working in a delegated admin account for SSO, which is a requirement that you set up, but not in the account itself, which is a bit of a shame because in my view, the way this would work is that you'd literally set it up as part of your application stack, get the endpoint out, especially in like dev environments, maybe in production environments you want more centralized solutions, but still, aside from that, it seems to work quite nice. So I'm looking forward to actually being able to play with it a bit more once it's out of preview, because I wouldn't recommend anybody to use it for the production until it is out of preview. Good advice. Yeah, this, I, I have to admit, this, this one's got me... There's a couple of use cases that I can see for this one. I looked at the pricing, and it's not prohibitively expensive. But it's also far from cheap. Yeah, it's also far from cheap. Like, if you've got a handful of applications... Yeah, okay, cool. But like I did some back of the napkin math and it's like, okay, 20 apps running for the whole month is like a little over $4,000. And it's like, eh, that's, that's not cheap. But look, it's, it's 20 apps running for the whole month. And, you know, if you've got that sort of workload, you know, what are you doing with it? But it's kind of like, yeah, okay. So it's one of these things that looks very interesting and I can think of some good use cases, but it's like you'd really want to need that level of security and control in order to warrant the additional price. Yeah. But, you know, this this, this is becoming more and more um, important um, and more of a necessity. So, you know. Yeah, especially in the security landscape in Australia at the moment. Um, a VPN is still a big, risk to have running yeah no agreed does that does does that mean we're back to me or yes i think so oh okay well i'm going to continue on the security choo-choo train security lake this is one of these um i don't know if you're the right type of person i guess you'd find this exciting you know security people are strange people (laughs) um this 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 is this is definitely a a big quality of life thing um, with the general consensus being want to move if you haven't already to multi-account um, heavily leverage organizations and you know blast radius protection and all of that sort of stuff it is becoming more and more critical to have these centrally controlled 
um, centrally managed uh, areas for your uh, various pieces of the observability uh, puzzle. You know, we can go into other conversations later around some of the stuff that was announced around um, CloudWatch. Um, but a purpose-built, customer-owned data lake dedicated for security um, as a point-and-click? Yes, please. And in Sydney. And in Sydney. Like, you know, whoo! One of the, uh, one, one of the jump for joys. Um, yes, it's in preview, uh, but I tell you what, like... I, I would be, if I was deploying, uh, if I had a small environment or I was looking at deploying a, uh, a landing zone in the imminent future, I would be stopping and going and taking a good hard this um, now uh, because I think from just a visibility and compliance and confidence in the health and security of your environment, this is a huge win. Not the mo- As I say, not the most exciting announcement, um, not something that makes me go, oh, I've got to go back to my hotel room and play with that right now. Um, Depressor. Um, but, you know, like, the, it, it's just one of those things that's just going to make people's lives easier um, and make customers' environments more secure. And, you know, that's a, that's a win. Yeah, and that was definitely on, on my list as well. Um, you know, uh, funnily enough, it, the, the announcement came out um, as it was, you know, just after I was doing some security stuff with one of our customers I'm just like, I saw it and I was like, copied and pasted put the blurb in, sent him an email it's like, what do you think of this? It's like, oh, oh, yes um, <laughs> tell me more so, yeah it's, you know, it's like it's those quality, you know, quality of life things, like, yes, cool, let's get a data lake and it's got all the security bits sort of sorted for you so you know you don't have to go and try and you know make your own security focused data lake it's there um you know they're they're doing a lot of the undifferentiated heavy lifting for you put all the bits in um so yeah it sounds it it sounds like pretty good and so the security guy was dealing with was like yes tell me more um so yeah i think i'll be looking into that in the not too future um so many projects right now so many things to play with. <laughs> uh, yes, um, but uh, on my side of things, my uh, my my next one, which I was very cool, the um, RDS Blue Green. Um, that sounds quite interesting. Um, so yeah, I've not really had a haven't had a chance to to play with this, but um, yeah, looking through it, looks it actually looks pretty cool how it gets deployed as well in the. Uh, you know, from from the blog, just seeing the 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 pictures, you know, it looks you know super easy to uh, to create. It automatically keeps your um, your green environment updated, and you know, in the console, even maps out like you know little little um, tags next to your blue databases and, and replicas, like blue, 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 and then. Green, green, green. Um, so, you know, you know where things at. And then once you've done your testing, you flick a little switch to switch over. And, hey, green now becomes your production. And the production gets orphaned and left there. So, you know, they purposely do not clean up the old production. So, you know, make sure if you definitely do not need it anymore when you're happy, delete those resources. Um, but, yeah, it sounds like it's... 
it's a quick and easy way to do you know, blue green on your run uh, on your MySQL and MariaDB databases. Uh, so interesting thing was like both the Aurora MySQL and the RDS MySQL uh, and MariaDB. Yeah, but MariaDB in the end is still just MySQL under a different name. Yeah, so all your MySQL <laughs> um, of whatever form. Yeah. No, it's 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 certainly cool. Um, unless I'm mistaken, it doesn't have any like possibilities yet around doing it through CloudFormation or things like that. Yeah, it seems to be mostly click work. I think there was some CLI bits, but yeah, uh, it, it looked mostly click. Um, I said I've I've not done you know hadn't really had much of a chance to look deeply into this one. When we went, hey, that sounds sounds cool. Let's have a read through the the blog and see where 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 we can use it. Um, yeah, mostly on on my side of things, people are using Postgres or or something else, so they're not not using the MySQL. But yep, for everybody running a WordPress server, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So hope. Hopefully that'll get extended out, you know, to uh, to others if can. Um, yeah, looks interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, I like, I really like this one as well. And then it's of course connected as well with the I don't know about a month ago that CloudFront Blue Green came out. Yeah, yeah. That was that was sort of a sort of semi early pre invent. Um, I think similar time to that the multi MFA yeah. devices. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like they're sort of pushing some of those blue-green, make life easier. We can almost blue-green an entire environment. <laughs> <laughs> I know some people that would be very happy with that. Next year, the reInvent, it's blue-green accounts. Yeah. Yes. We'll, we'll we'll rock up there to get our reInvent jacket. It's like, do you want the blue one or the green one? No, you just flip it. You just turn them inside out. <laughs> See? That is a swag idea. AWS, you can contact me. I'm more than happy to sell you the license for that idea. <laughs> <laughs> Blue-green reversible jackets. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. I guess it's my turn again. One that I found quite cool, and this is 100% a ClickOps tool because it's the AWS Application Composer. What this is, is basically it allows you to design your serverless applications. So you click together what you want, what it needs to do, and you basically sort of press a button or it gets automatically generated and you have your SAM CloudFormation templates for it. So you just use a visual drag and drop to connect everything together the way you want it and you don't have to do the actual writing of your code, but you have it as code. And that is just really cool. Um, especially for proof of concepts, applications, um, quickly getting something up and running or at least be able to discuss with other people, hey, this is my idea, this is how it will work, what it looks like, you've got your diagrams, you code everything in one go. It seems really nice to me. Oh, like To me, this is a killer, um, as you said, like POC, MVP, Rapid Spike, you know, Dream. Like the ability to just jump in, go boom, 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 boom. This is what I want. This is what I need it to do. Uh, test, no, not quite. Pull this in. Yep, cool, got it. And then to be able to then go and now give me the code that I can then, you know, take into, you know, productionize. Sure, you're going to need to carve it up and 
the code's not going to be as clean as you could have written. But, you know, you, we mentioned before, you know, the undifferentiated heavy lifting. Having the code there, you know, the, that's 70, 80% of the work right off the bat where you can just go, right, I'll move this, cut that. That's way simpler than starting from scratch. Um, it's always been a bugbear of mine, you know, proof of concept. You either invest the time writing the code and doing it properly to make it life easier in the long term, um, and you suffer the speed cost, or you know you do it click ops and have to reinvent the wheel after the fact. This gives you the best of both worlds. Um, what would be, you know, there, there, there are some nifty things that they could probably do to this long term to make it even better. Around, you know, if you can do a POC now, or you can pull some code in later and then iterate on it. Um, there's some probably some really cool things to lower the bar to have other people iterate and test and validate ideas. Uh, which would be really, really cool. But yeah, this is, I've been meaning, meaning to play with this one, but there's, there's just too many things that are on my, um, I want to play with that list. You can actually import, um, existing. Oh, I didn't realize that was all, like, that was already a thing. I did not realize that was a thing. Okay. Well, uh, now, now I'm even happier. So I'm now going to go and find the weirdest, craziest, backwards hacked, piece of code I've got and throw that in and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, me personally, I'm a visual person. I like to make sure that, you know, I have you know, architecture diagrams, I have network diagrams, um, and now, you know, this will diagram for you as well. So, yeah, you know, either, you know, in the forwards going where you click in and, you know, put the, put the code pieces together and get it to generate, or they just say, you know, get your existing, pull it in, and, hey, your code's diagrammed as well. So, uh, yeah, sounds very cool. Cloudformer 2.0 or Cloudformer 3.0? <laughs> 3.0, 2.0 is basically Ian's version. Ian's version, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. So, yeah, 3.0. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that regard, though, the one thing that, or one of the first things I expect that will improve on is the output that it will not just be cloud formation but it will also be cdk style code yep that 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 feels like a pretty logical um next step ah back to me um okay so next on my fun list um i'm gonna skip that one and move to uh another uh well no i'll pick that one same 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 line as my secure as my uh, security like CloudWatch launches cross-account observability across multiple AWS accounts. That was going to be my next one. <laughs> this was sorely missing. This has always been a bugbear of mine. Um, again, it's the you know we're doing patterns where we're using multi you know multi accounts. You know we're distributing our workloads, um, but observability gets lost uh, in the mix. And there's a lot of great tools, third-party tools, um, to solve this problem. There have been some things you could build within AWS, and you could export log groups, and you know you could use um, event bridge and a bunch of other bits and pieces to get this to happen. But again, we should, we, you know, as, as cloud engineers, as cloud consultants, shouldn't be having to build the product to get to work around the fact that a feature of, you know, multi account isn't the fact that you can see everything. Um, so the fact that this is now, um, available, super, super cool. This 
again, is going to be one of those things that organizations should be going back and revisiting um, their solution. Because if you're at all supportive of, you know, leveraging managed services where possible, you probably want to be ripping out that old uh, custom-made solution and replacing it with this one. Yeah. And the interesting thing I found as well there is you can have multiple monitoring accounts as well. So, you know, you, for that, you know, multi-account strategy with different departments and so forth, you can say, hey, I'm going to create a monitor here with just the source as the accounts that this department owns, and they can see a cross-account view of their accounts. And then another one for, you know, your ops team that's looking after everything and like give me a source of all the account. Um, so I thought that was, that was sort of an interesting take as well. It's not just, Hey, it's here's your, your monitor and all the sources. It's, you know, you can have multiple monitors and different sources for those monitors, um, as well. So yeah, you can sort of still delegate that, um, across teams and business units and only see what they, need to see yeah so not not a not a particularly exciting one um but you know definitely one that's going to make life uh make life easier and that that seems to be a trend um of this year is as we were sort of alluded to before there weren't a whole heap of new product announcements but there were lots and lots of oh that's just going to make life a little bit easier um and this was definitely one of them yeah yeah Plus, observability is sort of a passion area of mine. So anything that helps customers get a better understanding of what it is that their environment's doing, um, or more importantly, what allows me to work out why I'm getting a weird transaction on my bill in my personal account because I left something on and now I can't find it, is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and along with observability, uh, one that sort of piqued my interest was um, Network Manager you know, has real time performance monitoring. Uh, so you can set up performance monitors between regions, between AZs and intra-AZ. Um, so yeah, you just go into the network manager console, select infrastructure performance, and yeah, you can put in some queries to sort of find out what's the, uh, you know, what's the latency between your AZs, um, you know, what's the speed between your regions. So yeah, so it's you know, one of those sort of interesting little, not sure how Often you'd be using it, but um, yeah, it's just, it seemed one of those interesting little things that uh, that came up. While it is mostly click ops, there is a CLI option as well. So if you know sort of what you're looking for, you can you know, check a check a CLI down and get some uh, get some stats be- between the regions. Nice. Well, if we're talking about network speed and stuff, one thing I found interesting itself. Not an announcement, but a couple of small announcements were related to it. Uh, that was from the Monday Night Live keynote, where they went under the hood and were talking about a new way of networking within the AWS networking, the AWS underlying network, which is using scalable, reliable di- diagram, or SRD, which is basically a way of multipathing through a network um, much faster, way faster retries, everything, and it's all reliant on the Nitro um, stuff that I've got under the hood, which um, really suggests just watching that part of the keynote just to get a better idea of what it really means, because I can't really do it justice. 
Yeah, it was quite interesting. Yeah, but a couple of the, the announcements that were tied to that are very nice as well. The big one is with all new EBS IO2 volumes. Um, this is coming early next year, but they will be switching to SRD, and that means they have like 90% lower latency, which is a very big, well, very big win, especially if you're already using IO2, which is necessary for getting that performance up if that then just goes a lot higher because it's not just lower latency, it's also higher throughput. So that's really cool. And the other one then um, is ENA Express, which is basically, I'm not quite sure why they do it this way, but you need to enable it for your regular ENAs and there's no extra costs, anything uh, just like with the um, IO2 volumes, there's no extra cost related to this, but with ENA Express you do need to enable it and you'll get higher throughput, lower latency and all that stuff. Unfortunately it's very limited right now with just C6GN16X large instances. <laughs> yeah, I know the naming of the instances is still um, basically the compute optimized graviton, the compute and network optimized graviton instances, but then the 16 extra large size. But this can boost like just the throughput limits way higher. So I think it went basically from five gigabyte per second to 25. So that's quite a bit. Yeah. And as you say, like it, it definitely worth going back and having a look at the, the Monday Night Live, um, where Pete's talking about that because. Yeah, he was also showing sort of graphs of, of tail off and, you know, in the old, old methods and, you know, how it's sort of pretty just, you know, static with the, uh, with the new. Um, so yeah, quite, it was, it was quite interesting, um, seeing that. So back to me. What else is on my list? Uh, bum, 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 bum. Right. I'm going to do Delegated Administrator for AWS Organizations. I'm going to just continue down my multi-account organization path. Um, yay. Holy, yeah, like, okay. You have the ability to not have to log in to your, what do we call it nowadays, management account, master biller account, administrator account, yeah, pick a, pick a term for it, yay, 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 right, um, this is, and I know I've said this for the last couple, um, this is going to require people to go back and rethink the design of their landing zone, the, the, the design of their organisation, but basically at a high level, this gives you the ability to define individual delegated administrator accounts for specific groups of accounts within your organization. So you could have um, a delegated administrator account for your finance OU. You could have another one for your HR OU. And you could break out individual administrator um, accounts for each of your different you know, lines of business, departments, um, organizational group, whatever you want, and then give each of those the ability to manage the backup policies, the service control policies, um, your AI service opt-out policies, 
all of those sorts of things that you used to have to do from the administrator, from the, the, the management account um, at an org level, you can now do at a much, much more granular level, tightly controlled uh, to a particular scope. So, you know, this is going to give people a lot more flexibility and a lot more customizability um, to their security posture. So, big big win. Again, as I've said with the last calling, not something that you know, you're going to run out and do to your environment because it's super exciting, but something you absolutely should be doing um, because of the potential uh, increasing control and governance that it's going to give you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I really, at first, when I saw the announcement, I thought uh, it's just yet another delegated admin, which was already nice, but it's definitely not something to be excited about. But then, as you mentioned, you get the multiple accounts that, yeah, the nested uh, thing that really makes this a big item for me. Yeah. So con- continuing down the sort of security side of things. Um, so this is another preview one, not in Sydney, not like overly sexy, but it's definitely what I thought was interesting. Um, RDS protection with guard duty. So, um, you know, it's Aurora only at the moment, um, but looking to, uh, you know, add detection for suspicious logins to your databases. Well, so long as your databases are Aurora. Um, but yeah, just, you know, one of those extra nice, you know, guard duty does its thing quite well. Um, adding Aurora into one of the things that it protects. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, as it says, in preview, so, uh, and not in Sydney, but yeah, we'll see. Um, you know, it does support organizations, guard duty, so you just, you know, turn it on in your, uh, your delegated admin account and it'll push it out for, you know, your, uh, Aurora's everywhere. So, um, yeah, uh, something that I thought was, was, was nice and just always good to add more stuff into guard duty. Yep. I'll just keep with, the security theme of this round. I'm just thinking which one there's two in my mind. Um, but I will go for verified permissions. Um, this actually has some overlap with the verified access I mentioned earlier uh, in the way it works under the hood. Basically, verified permissions is a way to... What I said about verified access with the whole zero trust thing, where you then have a basically a way to access your applications and it does the login and stuff for you. With verified permissions, you basically hook that same kind of um, permission structure into your applications themselves. So you don't need to build, if this is for internal applications, you don't need to build your own integration with your SSO systems or things like that. You hook it into the same way you would do um, verified access, you hook it into your SSO or of course you hook it into any OpenID Connect provider so you can do it for external applications as well. But this uses the same policy language as well as that Verified Access does. Um, I didn't go into that earlier, but it's called CEDAR and it's basically just a way to define how and who gets access to the applications then in this case. So I haven't had a chance to play with this. I don't have any side projects that use um, authentication. So most of it is CLI stuff or just hooks into AWS directly. But this is really nice in that regard and I am looking forward to playing around with it a bit. Yeah, 
<sighs> back to me. Back to me. What else? Alright, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the I'm gonna pick the big one, the potentially uh, contentious, um, highly opinionated one, Code Catalyst. Yeah. So this it's on my top list, um, but it's on my top list with a few caveats. Um, so for those of you who you know have no idea what I'm talking about. Code Catalyst is a unified software development service that makes it faster to build and deliver software on AWS. Um, it's basically um, your oh, well, it 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 is an what I would call opinionated deployment and CI/CD uh, pipeline uh, solution. So it's it's kind of a little bit different in that it requires um, some additional setups, like a what is it? Is it the Amazon Builder ID or oh, AWS Builder ID? I think it actually is um, from memory. Um, and basically, it gives you a way to scaffold your new projects. Uh, scaffold your deployment pipelines configuration into the various AWS accounts that you wanted to be deploying your workload in um, and enables you to set up all of the core components you'll need in order to do um, and enable best practice sort of development and deployment practices. It is not something I would expect existing AWS users or existing organizations to uh, adopt in waves. I think if you already have an existing CI/CD tool chain or an existing, you know, deployment process or anything like that, you're probably not going to be running out to go and replace it with this. Um, haven't had a chance to really stretch its legs, but if we've learnt one thing from AWS around the way they do developer tools, um, they do it in a highly opinionated kind of manner, which doesn't necessarily give you the same flexibility that your build kites and your Jenkins and you know your Travises of the world might give you. But for those customers starting out, and let's not forget, you know, we live in AWS all day every day, but you know, uh, there are still lots and lots of organizations who haven't started their cloud adoption journey yet. Um, or lots of organizations where software development and deployment and DevOps are not uh, part of their bread and butter, something like this could be really useful for them. It looks like, based on the, the rough play that I've had with it thus far, that it tries to abstract away a bit of this whole how do I do multi-account deployments and how do I get visibility of my deployment process back into my source code and you know how do I control all of these things and you know it's it's not going to be you know something that your big fortune 500s are probably going to pick up they've already got tools to do this um, but as a getting started as a what should we put here for a greenfields this might be a, a fairly interesting starting point and I think the paid version is like four dollars a user um, and for that you get a few thousand build minutes a month and a bunch of other bits and pieces it's 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 a good potentially um, a good starting point um, and again, one of those things that I'm sort of going to need to attack with a little bit more vigor to sort of form a, a stronger opinion about it. Yeah, there's also a lot more to it than just the CSD. Oh, it it is it is a whole it is a whole package of services, which is really interesting. Yeah, the the, the really seems a bit like they've tried to put the whole 
developer experience in the into a single box. Yeah, so it has things like you can ban boards or this basically what they call a dev file, which is similar to what you might be used to from your programming languages that defines how your stack is built and which versions of things need to be run and yeah. all those things. And you can import those into your Cloud9 or Visual Studio Code or, and it adjusts it all. It, it, it's IDE integration, it's task management, it's issue tracking, it's deployments, it's, you know, the whole kit and caboodle sort of wrapped up into one nice little bit. Um, and as I say, right, like, you know, how well does it integrate with other tools and you know, it says it integrates with things like GitHub and all that sort of stuff. How good does it integrate? You know, what are the limitations and those sorts of things? You know, if you're talking about, you know, issue tracking and all of that sort of stuff, well, most organizations would have an Atlassian, um, like a Jira, you know, tenant or something like that already. What are the integrations like with that? And, you know, all of those sorts of things. So there's a, there's a lot of questions here. But as I say, like just the depth, and well, at least the breadth, um, of features that this thing has had. If you if you're you know starting a dev team or you know dev is not your primary focus as an organization, um, but you want somewhere to start, this is potentially a good option. Yeah. Hashtag you know oh, sorry yeah asterisk you know further validation required. Um, you know come back and talk to me um, in January. Oh, well, no, I won't be at the user group in January. Um, the user, come and talk to me at the user group in February and I will give you uh, the follow-up uh, opinion as to just how good this is. But I see a lot of potential, as I say, for, for, the, for the right type of customer. I was just going to say, it's, it's quite interesting. I sort of had missed, missed that one. But yeah, I, I can, can see some customers where it might be, might be interesting. Yeah. Just, just, a, just a, a, an out of the box, you know, nice thing. And if they're in AWS, it's fine if it's a, a opinionated towards AWS. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely also ambitious in trying to do all the things at once. It's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it reminds me, in some ways, a bit of another product that tried to do that. Oh, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. <laughs> I know where you're going here. <laughs> Everybody loves CodeStar, right? <laughs> and remembers that it exists. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <sighs> At least it's not in the exams anymore or I've not come across it. <laughs> yeah, this this would not be the first time they have attempted this. Um, it, it looks like they have taken the learnings, shall we say, uh, from CodeStar and sort of had a little bit of a look at what the industry's doing and um, dare I say it, they're a little bit wiser now. So hopefully this is a um, a better approach. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels a bit like a CodeStar 2.0, but they thought the brand of CodeStar was, well, so terrible that they decided to just... Yeah, start over. Yeah. CodeStar for me was always a bit of a, we need something but don't want to build a product, so how do we tie the other developer tools together um, and just say that's it, whereas this appears to be a, what is it the customer actually needs um, and, you know, let's gear something up for them. Um, so, you know, t- 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 time will tell, because um, the other question here is, 
um, developer tools and the developer experience is constantly changing. If there's one thing developers are good at doing, it's inventing new frameworks and doing changing the way we do things. AWS is no stranger to rapid development and you know new feature releases and all of that. How much love this gets will uh, will be something I'll be keeping close eye. Cool. Um, sort of getting back to the security type type thing. Um, isn't really something that I've got a need for in my direct customers, but maybe in some of the others. Um, data protection for CloudWatch log. So if you're dealing with you know, PII data, um, this lets you sort of set a policy to mask out that PII information in your uh, in CloudWatch log. Um, so it looks to be relatively straightforward and has sort of a whole bunch of sort of filters already there you know sort of an extra tab on your in in your uh your log group details you know your credit policy and they were saying you know things like you know social security numbers credit card details email addresses passwords driver's licenses for various company countries you know just click on that sort of say these are the identifiers and then it just sort of masks that data out of your um out of the messages in your log events and yeah so you're sort of looking at that sending them downstream that data is uh is masked out uh, and there's still an option to unmask it with the appropriate uh iam policy so um that's in sydney yeah so just you know an interesting one if you're dealing with you know logs that may have pii and you don't want people to see that information in the in the log uh, yeah, it looks looks like it's fairly straightforward way to um, yeah, mask that out. Cool. Well, I'm just going to pick the other security one that I was debating for the last round, and that is proactive rules for AWS Config. So basically, what this means is, let's assume we're all familiar with AWS Config. AWS Config, or well, let's not assume that AWS Config allows you to check your resources if they comply to certain standards or things that you've set up that it needs to check. Um, simple thing. It can, it can be something as simple as an EC2 instance needs to have its EBS volume encrypted, that kind of thing. With proactive rules, what you can do is run this before it actually gets deployed. So it will check that the config of the EC2 instance that you send to it has an encrypted EBS volume. So you may have noticed, by the way I said it, you have to send that data to AWS Config. It doesn't just automatically do it based on, hey, an EC2 instance is getting spun up. Let me quickly verify that it does everything before people press the submit button. So you have to tie it into your CSD pipeline or however you Android deployment, which hopefully is with something like a CD pipeline. You have to use an API call then, or you can use CloudFormation Guard um, to trigger basically AWS Config to run the verification. So that makes it sound like why would you go to the issue through the bother of using AWS Config for that when you can just define it all in your pipeline? The big thing is that you just have to do a single rule that you send to AWS Config, and if you then update AWS Config at some point it will apply all of those rules to all of your pipelines. 
So you have the centralized place that you would do it. And obviously, you already use those same rules to verify that your existing resources comply with those same things. So I really like what you can do with this. And yeah, it's not much more to say about it. It is one of those quality of life things that Matt mentioned. Yep. There, there, there was a fair few of those. Hey, I'm happy. I'm happy to say quality of life improves, right? Like at the end of the day, anything that makes anything that makes life easier uh, is a good thing. Yep. I'm going to pick Eventbridge pipes. Mm. I was wondering when that one could, would come. I, I, I just looked at it. and I'm like, ah, we haven't spoken about that yet. Um, that was a that was a pretty a pretty big thing. Um, uh, Eventbridge. That's that's been getting some serious love the last couple of months. Um, it is really nice to see the capabilities that that's now got. Uh, when the, when the, when they launched it, it was a little um, feature light, shall we say, uh, when compared to um, some of the other options and and those sorts of things. But with the work they've done, particularly you know the couple of weeks leading up to reInvent, and again last week, um, Event Eventbridge really is now the way to integrate services with each other. So for those of you who don't know or aren't familiar, EventBridge is um, a way to integrate. Um, it was uh, it was the replacement for, was it CloudWatch Events? Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, EventBridge Pipes was announced last week and basically makes it easy for you to connect your various applications uh, together. So you can take data coming out of things like SQS or Kinesis or your Dynamo table or, you know, MQ or any of those sorts of uh, event-based uh, services. Um, and you can then use event bridge pipes to send it out the other way to an SNS topic or maybe you've got a Kinesis uh, fire hose or um, other event buses or, or uh, step functions or any of those sorts of uh, uh, endpoints that you might want to consume a particular resource or payload. The really nifty thing um, about it is that you can, much like you can with your Kinesis data streams, is that you can actually put in an optional filtering step to filter, enrich, transform the data in transit uh, before it gets to the uh, destination point. So you could potentially write yourself a Lambda function that picks, that, you know, gets given the data, it does a little bit of a transform. Uh, and an enrichment, and then uh, passes it back to the pipe, which will send it through to the endpoint. So really nice way. This opens up a lot of possibilities in the event-driven um, space uh, where we can start you know, simplifying the moving of data from one point to another. Again, it's nothing that we haven't previously been able to build ourselves. Um, but to be fair, that statement in and of itself is a little bit of a cop-out because we have Lambda functions, we have Batch, we have Fargate. Yeah, we can program pretty much whatever we want nowadays. Um, so saying, you know, we could do this ourselves, well, yeah, we can do anything with enough time and money and resourcing. Um, but this uh, really opens up the, the possibilities now. So you could just, you know, do some really simple things and, you know, whenever you get some data coming into a DynamoDP table, 
you know, pipe that out to your, your event bridge pipes, um, have it transform the data and then fire that through to, um, you know, your Kinesis fire hose for, you know, long, uh, log archiving or your machine learning. Uh, ingestion engine or any of those sorts of bits and pieces so a lot of really cool things you could do with it um got a lot of excitement last week um and uh is is actually available in sydney so yeah in fact it's available in most regions i'm not gonna say all because i'm not actually sure at this point in time if i could list all of the regions anymore but yeah, if you look at the official announcements page, uh, you'll see that most of them are, are listed there. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a really nice improvement. And just yeah, to reiterate what you said about EventBridge, it has had so many good improvements, not just in the past month or so, but in the past couple of years. If you haven't looked at it for a while, I really recommend having another look because there's so much you can do with it nowadays. And 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 then put a presentation together and come and present at the, the meetup. Um, Always looking for speakers. <laughs> <laughs> There's the call to action. There's the call to action. Just slide it in there. Just slide. Um, but no, like, I, I, think, I think you're right. Like, it has gotten so much love. It is probably due for a, um, you know, welcome to event bridge um, sort of session because... I would dare say that most people, myself included, uh, would not necessarily be aware of all of the features that EventBridge now has. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I gave that talk in Perth a month and a half ago. <laughs> at the music group there. Hey, see, this is what happens. But it hasn't been given in Melbourne. Hasn't been given in <laughs> Melbourne and didn't include pipes. All right. Over to me. Um, sort of continuing... Continuing along on the um, sort of PII security type thing, um, this has sort of come out as an announcement for a new feature, but really looking at it, it's more of a sort of a, uh, an upgrade, re rehash, automated data discovery for Amazon Macy. Um, basically, what they're doing is sort of changing changing the way that Macy works. Um, this is on by default for any new Macy customers and can be turned on for existing. It's sort of it's like, you know, they're, they're taking some ML and, and some tuning bits and making it a bit cheaper and easier to get Macy running. Uh, you know, they're using some of the ML to have a look at, you know, which bucket shall I view, um, which ones have changed, where should I spend my time looking at type things. So, um, yeah, it sort of sounds like, you know, although it's, it's, a feature that you can turn on, you know, being on by default. Uh, I think they're sort of, you know, it, it's more of a, this is how I think, you know, we, we think Macy should run now, um, the, the better way for it. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, interesting. Um, and, you know, sort of similar to, you know, Gadgety and Security Hub turning those on, you get a free 30 days to have a look and see what it, what is it going to do for you and how much is it going to cost? Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it looks like a you know using some putting some ML smarts into the way that Macy has a look at your um, at your buckets and finds out what PII related data is in there. So yeah, just uh, you know another one of those quality of life upgrades. 
<laughs> nothing, nothing super sexy with that one, but just yeah, different way to do things. You know, they're saying it should be cheaper than you know running full data scan on on all of your buckets. Um, so yeah, we can save you a bit of money and do things a little bit smarter. Um, yeah, if you need that, Macy for for your data uh, looks like a it's like a good update to the way it, it does things. Yep, I'll just go for a small quality of life announcement here as well. Another service we've mentioned several times, um, Amazon CloudWatch, but this is the Internet Monitor. <laughs> That's my last one. Did I steal it from you? That's all good. I'm sorry. So Internet Monitor is obviously, it is looking at your applications to monitor, but it monitors the whole part between the application and the end users. So basically what this helps with is somebody complaining because somewhere between them and Amazon, there's a connection issue. So you don't end up spending hours looking, hey, what's wrong with my application? You can immediately see, ah, no, there is something wrong. Might not be at the user side, but somewhere in between that you don't have any control of. Or it will tell you where this, what part of your stack might be. And basically it visualizes where issues and which providers are um, affected and things like that. So you, it helps you improve your end user's network experience, but it's not limited to the AWS side of things. And that is really nice because I'm sure we've all had those cases where it seems things don't work for somebody and all you can say is it works for me. Yeah. Um, and some of the, you know, looking at the, uh, at the blog post, that some of the graphs uh, and visualizations metrics that it gives look pretty interesting. So as you say, you know, it'll show, hey, you know, you're coming through this area and, you know, we've noticed that this ISP is having some issues, things like that. So, yeah, um, you know, you configure monitors through the VPC, CloudFront, and Workspaces. So, yeah, Workspaces is an interesting one. So, you know, people are having issue. Um, connecting to their workspaces or stuff you can see there as well as yeah people coming in to your vpc or in through your cloudfront um you know what's 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 happening on the other side of aws so yeah uh, just edits in sydney did i say that already not yeah so um yeah like a, it looks like an interesting service if you've got web facing things um you know now you can not only you know troubleshoot what's inside your AWS, but you, know, you can see if it's something that's outside of AWS, um, you know, save your time there trying to trying to fix something that's not your emit. And you can sort of, you know, give your users some some feedback on like, hey, it looks like there's this issue over here. Um, yeah, it could be interesting. Well, do we want to do one last round? You took my last round. <laughs> oh, I've got one more. Uh, lattice. Mm. VPC Lattice. Now, this one's this one really piqued my interest when it was announced because, well, and again, I feel like I've been complaining about this all night, but um, distributed services and networking don't typically go hand in hand particularly well. If I have 10 accounts, and 10 workloads in those 10 accounts, that means I'm either doing some VPC sharing or I have a lot of networking infrastructure, uh, a lot of VPCs, 
maybe, you know, some kind of transit gateway. I've got NAT gateways. I've got load balancers and all of those sorts. Of um, and that's not an inconsistent, like, that's not a small expense, right? Like, networking in AWS is, as it all can be, a pretty pricey affair, uh, particularly when you start thinking about the fact that, oh, NAT gateways, well, I need at least two of those and, you know, a transit gateway, and that's going to be on 750 hours a month or 730 hours a month or however you want calculate what a month is um you know and the prices start adding up pretty quickly particularly when you're thinking about oh really my workload is nothing more than you know i was working on one the other day you know i have to have a vpc because uh my lambda function needs to talk to an efs endpoint so now i need a vpc and i need a trend and i need you know nat gateways and you know whole heap of network infrastructure just to be able to you know have some some storage. When you then have all of those in different accounts and you want them to start talking to each other, it gets a little pricey, but it also gets really complicated really quickly. And I think that's where where the whole idea behind Lattice came in. The idea behind VPC Lattice is that it simplifies the whole notion of um, facilitating, securing, and monitoring communication between the various services. So you can define a policy for your traffic management and what services can access what other services and then monitor uh, the health of all of those in a nice, consistent, easy-to-manage way. Now, the bit that I haven't been able to flesh out just yet is just how easy uh, and manageable a way that is. Um, And I think when you're talking about service networks or service buses or anything like that, um, getting it to work with two or three services, typically not too hard, uh, but how does it handle when you start talking to 40, 50, 100 uh, services? How does it scale? Um, what's the manageability of it like? Um, and all of those sorts of things. Like, you know, VPC sharing is great, uh, but you can't share uh, subnet tags across accounts. So it doesn't really scale particularly well, but from a technology, it works really well. I don't know where Lattice uh, lands on that sort of thing, but it looks like a really, really nice uh, way to simplify and provide a consistent approach to having and it's networking, so it doesn't really care if it's a Lambda function or a Kubernetes container if you're crazy, or an EC2 instance if you're even crazier, um, you know, or you know any any of those sorts of services. It's just you know traffic to it, um, and sort of you know. At, Hopefully, it makes it really easy to have, you know, uh, and really simplifies the way to get all of those sorts of things talking to each other. It is, it's it's not particularly expensive. Um, I think it works out to be about, you know, uh, $18 per service per month. So, you know, if you've got the, the, the 20 service yardstick that I sort of mentioned before, um, you're sort of talking three dollars $400 a month, um, not prohibitively expensive but it is networking so you're probably still going to need a lot of that underlying network infrastructure uh, to provide outbound internet connectivity and all of those sorts of things so be interesting to see just how this lines up and you know how well it sort of provides the consistency Um, but hopefully you know we'll get a bit of a, a deeper dive and be able to answer some of those questions. But there's a really good write-up on the, the AWS blog that goes into a lot of detail um, and you know sort of outlines how you can get it all set up and, and working fairly easily, or at least it looks 
fairly easy. A uh, lot of lot of screenshots. <laughs> it seems to be fairly. It seems to be fairly point and click at the moment. That's sort of my one concern. Yeah, that's speaking of that. The more cross accounts they're starting to be, the more I feel like they need to have a way of actually using the CLI to do cross account things. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, you can assume. I am roles in other accounts and things like that, but it doesn't really help or even have some way to deploy CloudFormation cross-account resources for things like this, because how do you tie things together otherwise? And and that, that's the thing, like a lot of these sorts of things um, aren't a single account. Yeah. Like we, we talk about multi-account, but like if I think about a workload, well, that workload's going to have, um, it's going to have a dev account. It's going to have, you know, maybe a UAT account. It's going to have a production account. You could even get more granular around where data is stored versus where compute is stored. Um, you know, and then you need some sort of service bus across that. Like an individual service could, you know, be spread across, you know, multiple AWS accounts. So the, and at that point alone, the idea of, assuming a role in a particular account doesn't really hold water. Um, so absolutely, 100% agree. Oh, I, I do not envy uh, the engineers uh, and the architects that are going to have to think about what IAM 2.0 uh, looks like <laughs> in that sort of um, world because that's not an insignificant thing that we've just sort of suggested. But you know, hey, it is, it is, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, and that was it from me. <laughs> that was that was <laughs> pulled out, pulled out my top top eleven. Uh, I didn't get to say all eleven because people, you know, had some of those those things. But it was, I think, you know, just a, 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 as a wrap up for for me, like a lot of my things weren't the big flashies. Um, I mean, the my sequel blue green. Um, was a pretty big one, but a lot of things for me were the sort of quality of life and extending. He said it. He said it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, and especially coming from more of an ops focus on things, those, you know, anything that can make it easier, quicker to, you know, detect issues, you know, fix things, get our customers back and working again, observability things, all those sorts of things are, um, yeah, we're really cool. Like, you know, not the big sexy, oh, hey, new feature, push out. But the, you know, there were, there were a lot of those, how can we make life better for our ops people type thing, which, you know, I, I quite like. Yeah, cool. Um, I'll just throw one more in there. I can tell this is something that in the current state I am unlikely to ever use, but it is Lambda Snapstart, um, which is their new, optimization step that you can put into your Lambda functions where once you deploy it or upload basically your Lambda file, your Lambda code, it will run an optimization process to make the startup speeds of the Lambda functions a lot faster. It says things like 10 times um, some of the partner links at the bottom of the blog post mentioned 13 to 15 times. It all looks Technically very impressive and a great improvement. The reason I'm unlikely to use it anytime soon <laughs> is it's Java only. Yeah. Or specifically Coretto only. So once it becomes available for other languages, which admittedly 
don't need it as much because, you know, there are better languages. Maybe you can get Scott on. So he can compare it to his .NET optimizations. <laughs> that's, okay. That, 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 that's okay. I was waiting for him to say uh, there are other languages that are faster um, and we could have a conversation about Python being considered a faster language. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but, sorry, little inside joke there, folks. It's it it's it's no. The, the, this is one of those things that yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on this one. It's can't write Java to save myself. Um, I can write Python well enough to get myself into trouble. But it is a good sign. It makes me optimistic for the things that are coming in the Lambda world. Um, obviously, you know, like J- Java is is the backbone. Um, that's always going to get the, uh, well, sorry, Coretto, um, is going to get the, the nice shiny first. Uh, and that, that's, that's, that's fine. You've got to start somewhere. Um, if it comes to Python, if it comes to .NET or when it comes and, you know, Go and all the others, um, great, fantastic, excellent, you know, cause faster is more often than not better. And, you know, smaller start, like cold starts and all of that sort of thing, better. That they are by no means the problem that they were, you know, back in, you know, 2017, 2018, but I'm never going to shy away from, you know, faster start time. And 10x is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> if like that that they they are phenomenal numbers. Um so yeah, very optimistic for or very hopeful for things yet to come in the whole lambda uh, space still haven't gotten around to running containers as a lambda and you know all of those sorts of things, but um, I hate to think what you know whether or not you'd be able to optimize that one. But that's a whole another conversation for another day. <laughs> you can optimize it. Yeah, you just take it out of the container. You take it out of the container. Real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never, I never got the idea of running containers as a lambda function, but that's okay. It's it's a very specific use cases when you literally can't run it any other way. Any other way? Well, that's all right. Like we could we could have conversations here around you know very specific use cases like you know Textract being able to do you know loan application analysis if you want you know specific use cases for announcements. Yeah, tell me that wasn't done for you know particular a particular vertical, but no. As we said before, there were a hundred and you know eighty announcements, uh, and you know we've spoken about like twenty four of them. I think huge amounts of stuff in the data space, a bunch of IoT announcements, um, you know things like Service Connect in ECS. Um, there was Glue four point which we you know didn't get a chance to talk about, and a bunch of other you know different bits and pieces. Um, I think the you know the, uh, it's reinvent. There's always there's always to talk about so with that i think we'll be wrapping this up if we missed anything that you think is more important than anything that we talked about feel free to reach out to us on the user group slack it's probably the best place to get that if you're not on the slack yet i go to melp.awsug.org.au slash slack and you can get your invite there and then i will also, of course, thank the user group sponsors, which is our gold sponsor, CMD Solutions, and our silver sponsors, CFO and Fursend. These were the sponsors for 2022, but also for 2023. So it's great to have them all stick around. And of course, I want to thank these lovely people who joined me here tonight. Matt Mariel. Thank you, Matt. And thank you, Jason. Thank you, Arjen for uh, hosting. Always fun. Always fun. And episode one, season two.
We promise, we promise it won't be as big a gap between this one and the next one as it was between this one and the last one. <laughs> yes, that's the whole idea of season two. We'll aim to do better. And thank you all for listening, and hopefully you'll join us for the next one. Thank you, and bye. See you. Ciao.